Welcome to Special Programming, produced by the Public Communication of Science undergraduate students here at the University of Ottawa. In this course, SCI 3101, the Public Communication of Science, undergraduate science students learn skills related to communicating their knowledge to non-specialist audiences in the general public. That's us. As one of their assignments, they are tasked in pairs or alone to produce a five to eight minute podcast on any scientific topic of their choice. Using any approach of their choosing, the students were to produce a short media clip that would be informative, accessible, and interesting to an audience from the general public. In this series, we have stories, interviews, and conversations that range from COVID vaccines to black holes in the universe. Hey everyone, I'm Steven. And I'm Kirsten. Thanks for joining us. The topic for today is genetically modified organisms, or GMOs. This means that the genetic material, or the genes that make up an organism's DNA, has been changed by scientists. Before we get started with talking about this really interesting topic, we thought it would be a fun idea to see what some of you at home think about GMOs. And here's what you had to say. Yeah, you know, I don't really know too much about GMOs. I was actually hoping to learn a wee bit more from you today. You know, like I heard there's something to do with wheat or something to do with soybeans. I, I, I honestly, I don't know. I don't know. So uh, hoping to learn a wee bit more. I think I have a few contrasting views, I guess. I come from a family that likes to eat organic, healthy food. So often on food products, I see the non-GMO symbol which makes me think that it's something bad in food. Um, and it's something that I'd want to avoid as someone who wants to put healthy, good things in their body. But at the same time, I am a budding environmental scientist. So I know the importance of genetically modified organisms to how they might be a possible solution to getting crops more acclimatized to new climates and being less affected by droughts and stuff like that. And if the population keeps growing at the rate that it is and we need to feed people, then if GMOs are what we need to feed everyone, then that's something that we have to use. It's so good to hear such a diverse range of views and opinions on GMOs, and we found that to be a common theme when talking about the topic. There's a lot of conversation about GMOs in the media, within politics, and in countless other platforms, and it can quickly become overwhelming to keep up with and understand what they are and how we should feel about them. Now, in an attempt to make some sense of all this information, as Stephen mentioned, that we hear surrounding GMOs, today we'll be covering sort of what's going on right now currently with GMOs, why they're used, and just touch on a lot of things to get a basic understanding of GMOs. Yeah. So before we begin talking about genetic manipulation or anything like that, I think it's important to first understand that humans have been genetically modifying plants and animals for thousands of years. Did people really understand genetics back then, though? <laughs> Not quite. They certainly didn't have anywhere near the level of understanding that we have today when we talk about genetics. But they did know what artificial selection was, even if they didn't use that term. Artificial selection? Isn't that how we get different breeds of dogs and things like bananas without seeds in them, right? Yeah, exactly. Humans have been using artificial selection to choose for desired traits in plants and animals for a very long time. Usually, a GMO is created with a certain purpose in mind. And scientists may want to change a food crop to make it more nutritious, limit the disease spreading ability of certain animals, or even change a widely used food products to benefit the environment in some way. Now, while it is super interesting to talk about how genetic modification has been a long-standing practice, we'd like to instead turn our focus to recent use of GMOs in agriculture and how that affects the foods that we eat. 
in order to make the history of GMOs and agriculture a bit more interesting, because it's not as fun as some of the other stuff we can talk about, we have a little interview with a science student at the University of Ottawa just to get into a few of the details. So as a science student, I've taken a couple of courses like environmental science and plant science um, that have kind of talked about the Green Revolution. That was kind of the point in the 60s. It was kind of about how like farming practices changed a lot in that time to help a lot more food to be produced. So they had like pesticides and stuff like that. But they also had GMOs be introduced for crops like wheat and stuff. And that boosted the food production a lot, which was good. But we've started to see some problems with other aspects of the Green Revolution, like insecticides and pesticides and fertilizers. So I guess we'll see if there are any secondary impacts of GMOs. Let's move on to discuss the current landscape of GMOs in Canada. So currently, Canada grows six GMO crops. This includes canola, corn, soybeans, sugar beets, alfalfa, and a small amount of potatoes that are currently just in testing phases. Just from hearing this, we can definitely say that our current food production system benefits greatly from GMOs because some of these crops, like corn, produce a lot of food. Definitely. GMO foods help uh, our agricultural industry by increasing yields, but there's also actually a lot of other reasons people may not be aware of that we use GMOs. To illustrate this, I just wanted to dive into a little case study on canola. Super important to me, topic of my master's soon. Um, but it's a true Canadian example because modern canola was bred at the University of Manitoba. And the name is li quite literally a combination of can from Canada and ola meaning oil. Many of you may not be aware, but about 95% of the canola that we grow in Canada is genetically modified to be herbicide resistant. So why is it so important that canola is herbicide resistant? So in order to understand why a crop plant may need to be resistant to herbicides, we got to think about why we will be applying them. So the farmers usually apply the herbicides to their crops to target the weeds, not the crops themselves. The weeds grow alongside their crop and they take a lot of resources like the water or the fertilizer that the farmer may put on their fields. And so by eradicating the weeds using the herbicides and having herbicide resistant canola, the plants themselves are not affected. They can eradicate the weeds and really ultimately increase the harvest of their canola plants. That's a really good example. And it definitely shows one of the many useful applications of GMO plants. Usually when we think about them, we just expect that they're making food products bigger directly, but they can also be used to help the crops grow in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many applications of GMOs. In particular, one application that's definitely becoming increasingly necessary is combating climate change. Yeah, definitely. While the initial focus for creating GMOs was to increase the yields and the nutrient content, many of the applications today have shifted to being focused around reducing agricultural industries' effect on climate change and ensuring that plants will grow in the changing conditions that may occur. GMO apples, or Arctic apples, are an example of this. They've been bred to reduce browning, which might just seem like it's for the aesthetics at first, but it's actually meant to reduce food waste at the consumer level. And also another great example is that some GMO crops are also being created to increase your nutrient uptake ability, uh, which will allow farmers to apply less fertilizer and they will also still receive the same yield of their crop plants. Now, this is really beneficial for the climate for two reasons, because it reduces the amount of resources that we are using on the crops. And also some fertilizers can contribute to greenhouse gases. Those are really interesting applications of plant growth, which could definitely help reduce climate change. Another thing to highlight is that some other crops are being developed to cope with climate stressors such as drought more efficiently. And this is particularly useful due to the fact that in the future, the climate of our cropland may be very different, expected to be drier due to climate change. Also, having plants that require less irrigation can help save our freshwater resources. 
We also wanted to take some time to talk about the prevalence of GMO foods. As we've already mentioned, the GMO products grown in Canada are canola, corn, soybeans, sugar beets, alfalfa, and some small amounts of potatoes, which are not available to consumers. I do think that sometimes the scope of the use of GMO ingredients is not fully understood by consumers, and I'll admit, even after research, I'm still not 100% clear on all the details because that's a really complex topic. Um, But essentially, we discovered that in Canada, it's not required to label a product containing a GMO because GMO has been deemed just as safe and nutritious as natural food by health and government departments. There is, however, a national standard for voluntary labeling of products that do or do not have GMOs. So some products will have GMOs in them and we might not be aware of that? Yes, because it's just a voluntary uh, national standard. But I think on the other hand, the prevalence of GMO foods for certain crops is much smaller than we might think. Some of the GMO grain crops, like the alfalfa one, they're mostly just used to feed livestock, so we wouldn't be consuming it. Also, some of the other types of GMO products, such as the Arctic apples that we mentioned, are marketed as their own type of apples, but they're still plenty of non-GMO apples. Like there's only one kind of GMO apple that exists out there. So it's not as prevalent as we might think. So GMOs might not be as widespread as people think in Canada on certain food products. And the government has deemed GMOs safe for humans. So what are the possible cons that we should discuss? Yes, definitely. So as science students, we do recognize that it's important not to bias an audience and only talk about the benefits of something. And there's definitely cons to GMO products. One main concern is the effect of genetic modification on our main crop's longevity as a food source. So genetically modified plants can cross-pollinate with natural non-GMO plants and they can produce hybrids. And this could contaminate the world's genetic resource base. That's a good point. And related to that, a lot of our crop systems are based on monocultures or having one species of a plant. This is dangerous because plants are susceptible to diseases, just like humans. And if the equivalent of something like COVID evolves for wheat, for example, the genetic diversity of that crop is so small that we could lose huge amounts of our wheat crops. Yeah, that's very true. And definitely a good analogy that you use there. We do actually have a kind of doomsday vault. I'm not sure if you've heard about it called the Svalbard Global Seed Vault. It's in Norway and they use the vault to store a whole bunch of different species and types of seeds so that our food supply will still be there in case one type does go extinct in the wild. Well, I hope we never have to use that. Oh man, I do agree with you. (laughs) Even given these cons, I think we can say that GMOs are still at the very least a really fascinating topic and they do seem to be essential to our current agricultural system and our ability to feed the population now and in the future. That's very true. GMOs are used to produce food to feed the world by increasing yields, nutrient fortification, helping the plants to be resilient to disease, as well as herbicides and climate stressors. GMOs can also help reduce food waste and lower the carbon footprint of the agricultural industry, which is really important nowadays. We would like to thank our podcast guests and Professor Brown, as well as Dr. Christopher Lobos and Jonathan Jerry for all the guidance that made this podcast possible. And as well, thank you for listening. And we hope that we've given you some new perspectives on the food industry and everything that goes into creating the food that we eat. You just heard one episode in a series of podcasts produced by the Public Communication of Science undergraduate students here at the University of Ottawa. 